Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. What's up, City Hills Church? We are so glad that you're hanging out with us today. And I am really, really stoked because we get to have a conversation with Susan Johnson. And Susan is incredible. She got to speak to a group of ladies at our church several months ago before the world blew up because of COVID, right? You got to hang out with some of our ladies. And the impact that it had, that just that one conversation has had some really lasting impacts. And so as we look at the, the end of this year, we wanted to make sure that we took a little bit of time to just share that same message that she heard, but with all of you. And I know that so many of you are watching from different places in the country. And, and so not all of you are watching locally here in San Diego, but the message that she's going to share with us is so important. And so we're just going to have a conversation today and talk about a little bit about her, a little bit about the organization that she started, but a whole lot about this impact that you can have in your life as you kind of navigate this touchy subject that a lot of times we hear about where we're like that that feels too big I don't really know what to do anything about it but before we jump into that I'd love for you guys to just meet Susan so Susan why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself a little bit about your story and I'd love for our church to meet you thank you pastor um hi everyone I'm Susan Johnson I am a I guess I'm a native to Southern California, but my family was a mil is a military family. So I um, was introduced to Oceanside, California, Camp Pendleton, uh, San Diego County when I was four years old and I grew up in enlisted housing. Um, my dad was um, retired after uh, 31 years um, uh, in the um, in the Navy, but he was a hospital corpsman, so he spent, um, you know, 29 years with Marines. Um, he's a Vietnam vet, uh, did uh, three different tours as kind of the medic. Um, and so as a family growing up um, in my household, um, my dad had PTSD. And um, so my family was pretty much uh, dysfunctional. <laughs> we kind of put the <laughs> the funk and dysfunction. Um, but, um, but that, you know, I, I grew up in the area and um, ended up having exposure to sex trafficking um, as an adolescent. And I'll, I'll talk more about that later. Um, but truly, I, I claim California and San Diego kind of as home. Uh, and uh, I did end up marrying a military man and we moved around. Um, so I've been to different areas. Um, but uh, San Diego is kind of my vibe, who I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how long have you been married? Um, tell us a little bit about your kids. So um, my husband and I uh, met when we were 19. Uh, we married at 21. Um, we have three beautiful children. Uh, we've been married for, what, 26 years now? Nice. No. It feels like that. We've been together that long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have a 23-year-old, um, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old, and, um, you know, God has blessed us. Uh, when we met, um, I actually made him go to, you know, he was like, what are you doing tomorrow? And it was, it was Sunday, and I said, I'm going to church, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> 
he, he was indoctrinated into my little church uh, yeah. and uh, we've been together ever since and um, just, um, you know, God, God really blessed us with, uh, with that relationship and friendship. And right. as we, we've grown in the, in, together in Lord, I, I, I accepted Christ when I was 19 um, and shortly after met my husband. Um, yeah. So, uh, and there's a, a whole story behind that, that uh, God has really blessed our marriage. We've um, served the Lord in so many different ways, um, from Bible studies to Sunday school to uh, Awanas, um, you know, uh, all sorts of uh, different opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to, to everyone that gets married young. You know, I feel like the age is getting like later and later. And now that I have daughters, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's let's push that back further and further. But yeah, yeah I, I don't I recommend got, it. I don't yeah. recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I got married three days after I turned 22. And so we we're coming up on 13 years. So I feel you getting married young can be uh, it can be fun, but it's crazy. well i don't recommend it i I, i'll definitely we have a it just i look at my my oldest daughter and i'm just like oh my gosh you know uh we we were already you know we we were already having her at her age (laughs) (laughs) right it's crazy it's crazy i I do enjoy being older a bit you know being more mature and uh, still young enough to to do stuff our kids are older now so uh, you know it's 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 fun but uh yeah it was definitely challenging having a young young family yeah no doubt no doubt well we've been kind of pumping up uh, this conversation and talking about the impact that you are having around the city in regards to uh, serving women who have been through sex trafficking or experienced that in some capacity. And and we'll talk about a, a, a lot of different things here, but I'd love for you to just kind of share with us, when was kind of the first time you experienced or heard about sex trafficking? When did that like come onto the radar for you as you're navigating life? When did it just like, wait a minute, this is, this is a real deal and it happens to real people. Well, um, that it's, um, it's a little convoluted, but, um, honestly, I I said earlier, I was exposed to it when I was an adolescent, uh, but I didn't really know what it was until, um, about 20, uh, 2012. Um, when I was doing, um, well, I've got to back up. So I was exposed to sex trafficking when I was an adolescent. Um, I grew up in a, in a dysfunctional kind of household, um, you know, where I pretty much grew up outside of my house. Um, mm. You know, we had exposure to church. I had kind of one foot in church and because, right. you know, that felt like a safe place to go. And there were these caring, you know, older sure. ladies that, that loved on me. Um, yeah. You know, but I also grew up kind of um, unsupervised and kind of out of my own, and which led me to um, experiencing sexual abuse um, when I was six and being groomed for further sexual abuse when I was eight. Um, There was, um, you know, definitely, like I was allowed to dress up like a Playboy bunny for Halloween when I was nine. 
fine. Um, you know, if that, you know, somehow that didn't set up red flags for anybody. Um, yeah. I learned how to drive when I was 12, um, borrowing uh, deployed service members vehicles and going joyriding. Um, had kind of this element of, um, you know, just other unsupervised kids um, sure. that were, you know, we lived on a military base and there were a lot of, you know, young men um, and obviously as a, a 12 and a 13 year old, um, there was a lot of attention that was given to us females. And yeah. so, you know, there, there was a lot of um, this uh, excitement around like, oh, let's, you know, let's pretend like we're older. Um, right. So a lot of precarious situations, um, then it's just the grace of God that um, other, you know, more serious um, things did not revolve you know happen because because sure. of that um but definitely very precarious um not really um being in these uh situations not really being aware kind of being naive thinking you know as you do when you're young that oh we're just having fun it's no big deal right. um but in that um also being exposed to other um girls uh friends um had a friend that was indoctrinated into a, a gang she ended up um, having a crush on a guy. And um, this was when, you know, we're 13 and 14 years old. Um, and, um, you know, seeing that kind of play out. And, um, but back then it wasn't called sex trafficking. It wasn't called right. human trafficking. It was, oh, she, it was all kind of, you know, in this uh, movement about, you know, sexual assault and, and rape and this rape culture. Um, that we experience, sometimes we blame the victim um, for going, you know, kind of, oh, she made the choice, you know, she had this crush right. on the guy, and, you know, that's what led to it. Um, also had um, a girl that, that went to junior high with me. And um, I, when we were joyriding, we'd see her out on the strand and out on the street and um, she would come into school and sleep and um and she'd get in trouble at school for sleeping um but majority of it she was couch surfing she was kicked out of her um of her stepdad's of her house um her stepdad was kind of abusive and she got kicked out and so she kind of survived by um meeting up with young marines or sailors and um just trying to couch surf and those are some scenarios that uh, right. is very alive and kicking today. Um, that's something that has not changed in, you know, the 30 plus years um, right. that have, have gone on. Um, but I didn't learn what, you know, the term was until about 2012. Um, I had experienced some of those things as a youth. And, um, you know, I ended up being a 14 year old with a much older boyfriend um, who was involved in drugs and drug distribution. And um, even in that scenario, God was gracious to me. Um, right. By the time I was um, 18, 19, um, I was just at a, a really low spot in my life. And, and it, you think, oh, somebody that young, you know, you have all your life before you, but I had experienced so much trauma and so many different traumatic incidences through this, uh, you know, four-year relationship with that, that um, person uh, was a toxic kind of codependent, uh, abusive relationship. Um, yeah. I had experienced trauma before that. I had seen, uh, I had seen so much of kind of this adult 
uh, club life that I was over it by the time I was right. uh, even legal to, to participate in it. Um, right. You know, I mentioned we would joyride. We would joyride down to uh, San Ysidro and cross the border. And, and we were 14 years old and over in, in TJ, um, you know, experiencing the club scene, um, right. which is, how does that happen, right? When I think about... <laughs> <laughs> when I think about, you know, what I was doing in the ages, especially as a mom um, and looking at my children going, oh, my gosh, God right. is so gracious um, that I'm even here. Uh, right. You know, uh, but um, it, somebody at, at church invited me to a retreat when I was 19. And um, it was at that retreat that it finally clicked it finally the the message of of Jesus and a heavenly Father that loves um, and uh, Jesus that sacrificed himself for us so right. that we could have that relationship. It finally made sense. Um, it yeah. was it was a, the love from this congregation that and uh, you know enveloped me and um, that changed my life. And I accepted right. Christ. And um, after that, my I went back to the same church and the same sermons and the same hymnals, but everything kind of came alive. Yeah. And, um, and it was at that point that I really felt, you know, this, this love and this, this, um, so much of the brokenness that I had experienced was because I was trying to be good enough. I was trying to be loved. I was trying to be um, special enough. Right? right. And, and that's what I found in Christ. That's what I yeah. found in a loving heavenly father, that he wasn't um, judgmental or condemning um, that, that I wasn't going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> you know, but yeah. that I was going to be embraced and hugged and nurtured. Um, yeah. That was that, that, that sense of healing and um, wholeness that I felt um, as I got to know God more and got right. to um, experience his love, um, I, it became a passion for me to share it with others. Yeah. And, um, and to share that, that as a female, there's, a, there's so many, and I know that this is also with, with men, uh, with boys, but for me as a young woman, um, I didn't have a nurturing father figure at home. I didn't have a compassion. Um, and then the attention that I had received from men, it was all pretty much strings attached. Yeah, you know, for sure. Or what they can get out of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, when you think about a heavenly father, in order to embrace Christ and embrace, um, you know, this relationship, you you got to get to know that, okay, his love is unconditional. And his, his value and his worth that he places on you is, it is conditional. It's it, Jesus died for that, um, right. you know, but it's, there's so much um, acceptance and wholeness and healing that comes from that. And right. it became my passion to share with other women their, the opportunity for them to have the same relationship, to understand right. that healing and the forgiveness and the, the, um, the breaking down of the shamefulness um, sure. from, and guilt and all these other things that, that Satan would lie to us and, and say, you know, um, you, you're, you're less than, um, right. instead it's, you're more than, and God, you know, he, he so much loves you. Yeah. Um, so that became my passion. Um, I started doing little, uh, women's, uh, Bible studies and, uh, 
just kind of God bring in others that kind of had the same, um, maybe uh, sexual abuse in the background or, sure. uh, you know, th those kind of uh, breakdowns in um, child trauma. Um, and it became a, a, even more of a passion to tangibly demonstrate, you know, um, it's sometimes um, in, in our learning styles, we can hear something, we can read something, but it's that tangibleness yeah. of, I was hungry and you actually gave me food. Right. Um, you know, I, I needed a hug and you hugged me. Um, right. You know, those tangible things. Um, I started doing kind of one evening spiritual retreats for women and we would do kind of a book study um, all of it culminating to like how God loves you, feels you're right. valuable, important, that you're a daughter of a king. Um, right. And it would culminate into a one evening spiritual retreat. So um, did that. It's so cool. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, that was my main focus. And in that, obviously, um, a lot of the women that, that you know, I crossed paths with, we had kind of the same history. Yeah. No, I think it's it's so important, and, and we talk about it all the time, and I think you just kind of, you, you kind of put some meat on the bones for us in, in a really tangible way. We talk about it as a church all the time, that we don't know people's story. Like, we don't know what's going on. We see the outside of what's happening in their life, but no one would have known what you walked through, through those teenage formative years of your life. They would just see you as maybe a troubled 18 year old and it's like well what what's wrong with them it's like well we don't know what they've been through and and i think what you just shared is, is so important that as a church it's not that we're walking around with this huge spiritual deep knowledge because a lot of our church is very new to the faith it's about you being that tangible love of christ for people you you get to see people in their lowest places and you get to be a voice of influence, a, a voice of encouragement, a, a physical person who actually loves them in the way that, that God loves us. And so I think that's just such an incredible reminder as followers of Jesus that we have that opportunity to share that with people. It's it's our responsibility. It's our, our, our overarching purpose. I mean, we each have our individual purpose, but our overarching purpose is to share this love, this this unconditional powerful deep love that we experience in christ so uh, thank you for like putting some meat on the bones for us because we talk about that all the time of, like you don't know what people are walking through so instead of judgment instead of pushing people away instead of assuming choose to love choose to love people the way that christ loved us um yeah so I, if i can if i can interject pastor that is so powerful um but uh, there's a scripture, it says that Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Yeah. And um, for me, basically what that means is that when, when Christ stepped into your life, when, when Holy Spirit stepped into my life, when I'm able to share with somebody, you know, my story and give my testimony, it then opens up somebody else to say, oh man, I'm not alone. Right. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that because, yes. you know, and then it, it gives hope too, because if I've gotten healing, if I've experienced blessing or even in, in my misery, even in my, in my hardship saying, you know what, this is hard right now, but I can have faith because I know of a time when God brought me through something much worse. 
Right. And, um, but that's what helps with hope. That's where, um, you know, the, that, that's where the, the light, the city on the hill, yeah. <laughs> the light that shines, that, yeah. um, that cannot be hidden. That's that testimony. That's how God's love invades. You know, would I be here in the same space that I am now? Would I have experienced the healing? Would I have had experienced the invitation to offer, to, to, to sign up, you know, to say, God, I give my life to you. Um, right. Would I have had that invitation had I not been invited to church? Sure, sure. Had, had the little old ladies who didn't really know what was going on, but knew that I was a little, you know, off, but they, they would invite me over to pet sit and watch their dogs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just just they knew that if they, if I, if I was offered a, a, a opportunity over here, that I wouldn't be out on the street over there. Right. Um, it's those little bits and pieces that um, yeah. God can use us to speak through. And sometimes, yeah, it is. It's just offering a meal. Um, yeah. You don't need to know the whole story. You just right. got to care. Right. Oh, man, that's so good. So, so good. And so as we kind of move into the story a little bit more, it, it, what I, my understanding of it is that these Bible studies kind of led to some, some really cool things. And uh, several years ago, you started an organization called the Alabaster Jar Project. And it's something that we've we've partnered with and, and plan to continue to partner with in an even greater capacity. And just kind of unpack that for us. How did how did Alabaster Jar Project get started? And uh, what what is it that really drove you to finally go? Okay, this is good, but we need to do even more. So I mentioned I was doing one evening spiritual retreats, and I we my my husband was military, so we we had moved around uh, pretty much every duty station we went to. I would establish you know the one evening spiritual retreat kind of ministry, and uh, we landed back here in San Diego, and the church that we were we are attending have been attending. Um, they um, they're pretty unique in that their missions are pretty much all local based and in the community. Right. Um, and so their missions director would go out and, and approach, you know, different entities in the community and say, what, what do you need help with? They had approached the, um, the, you know, the alternative school, say, what do you guys need? How can, how can the church help? They'd approach the, the group homes, the homeless uh, programs, the, you know, substance abuse programs, say, how can we help your programs? And so one of the, um, the, the, the group homes uh, for, for women uh, they told them, you know what, our women could really use um, a, a spa night. And so the mission structure was like, I, I've, I don't know how to do this. I have no idea. And my, my small group leader, she, she was my mentor. And she said, I know somebody who does small, you know, does one evening spiritual retreats. Um, I'll, you know, and here, you have to understand with, with my ministry, um, I pretty much have Rubbermaid bins of china and fine linens and tablecloths, right. and outfits and towels and foot basins and I, I literally build a kit everywhere I move. And right. when we move, we we donate the kit to the last place that we lived and or the church. And then we we would I would build a new one. And God is so amazing because let me tell you in that you think, oh, that's so expensive. But honestly, I've, I've literally dropped my kids off at school, met a mom in the parking lot who's walked up and said, hey, 
I, I have all this, this fine China, I'm getting a divorce and it's my wedding China. Do you know anybody who might want it? And I do, you know, right. uh, little things like that. God would just, you know, make happen. And right. so I would end up with, um, and so the one evening spiritual retreat already had all this stuff and these kits yeah. and, and, um, and it's, it's really not a problem to put a team together. Um, and, uh, it's a beautiful, um, yeah. event. Um, but so that's how this group home, they said, well, we want a spa night. Uh, can your church do that? And, uh, the missions director, you know, my, my small group leader was just within earshot and she says, I know the person. So kind of, kind of orchestrated it, opened the door. And the next thing I know, um, I'm leading this ministry, except, um, now don't laugh. It, well, it's okay if you laugh, but this whole, like, you're a daughter of a king, you're a princess, sure. okay? I used to call it princess spa. And so the, the, the one evening spiritual retreats was a princess spa night. Yeah. And uh, the church was like, Susan, you, you really got to find another name for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard for us to advertise like a princess spa night. Like no one's right. really sure what that is. All the know? little kids are like, I want to be a princess. <laughs> I want to be a princess. Yeah. And so, um, and they said, and Susan, you know, because I, I call it the most extravagant ministry, but it's the one that costs the least because everyone, everything's donated. Um, and you, you wash the towels and you wash the dishes and you reuse them. Right. right. Um, and so it's really not that expensive and, um, it's just a beautiful night. It's beautiful experience. And, uh, the church was like, Susan, we've got to reimburse you for this. And I said, you, you can't reimburse me for this. This is my alabaster jar. Yeah. And it's, referring to the the story in the bible where um there was a woman it's in luke chapter um luke chapter six uh, i believe it's uh verses 36 and 37 through 38 um, but it talks about a woman with um she had a jar that was made out of alabaster stone which is a a, a fine gem stone um and kind of uh, you know like marble um and inside the jar was expensive ointment. And they say, in, in, they have different um, stories of this woman. The one I like the best is the one in, in Luke. Um, but they say that she came from an adulterous background. I mean, mm. isn't that all of us? We, we all right. were sinners, right? But she, she was not married. Um, she had this expensive jar and this ointment, but she recognized Jesus as her savior. And so back in right. that day, and this is a, a loose Susan translation um, <laughs> of the Bible story, but to paraphrase, it. Jesus was having dinner at a Pharisee's, the leaders and his disciples. And uh, it was very scandalous for her to enter into this home where Jesus was at. She was uninvited and she didn't have a male companion. She did not have, um, you know, she could have been stoned, uh, yeah. murdered for this. This was a, you know, a, a huge felony offense. Um, yeah, big deal. Really big, big deal. deal. And, but she walked in and she she recognized Jesus as her savior and her whole desire was to pour out of her jar onto his feet out of the gratitude, out of her knowing that he was her savior and what he was going to do for her. Um, right. and just out of that gratitude of her heart. So it, right. it, the alabaster jar and that symbolism is that, you know, we're, we're pouring out of gratitude. Um, when I'm, I'm moved to, to, to share God's love with others because I've experienced so much of it myself. 
Right. Um, and that's, that's that woman in the same heart and God, Jesus honored that. And he, he, yeah. he, he commended her. He didn't condone, he didn't condemn her. Right. He, he kind of promoted her. Um, and so when I said that in this setting, I said, you can't reimburse me for this. This right. is something that I'm, it's my act of love and service out of gratitude yeah. for what God has done for me. Um, it's my alabaster jar. And they said, that's a great name. And so, um, alabaster jar ministry of this, the, that's <laughs> the ministry then became alabaster jar ministry. Right. Um, and I was introduced to some group homes that were women that had been sex trafficked. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to generate hope and, um, and I said, sex trafficking, what's that? And I, uh, went to an educational conference and learned about it and literally, you know, my eyes opened because I thought this isn't anything new. I was, right. I was, I was exposed to this 30 some years ago. Um, this was happening in my neighborhood. There were 12 and 13 and 14 year old girls that were, um, you know, being, assaulted and being sexually exploited, you know, um, by the, the men and the boys in our, in our community, in our neighborhoods. Um, right. and half the time they didn't even understand that there was many exchanging hands for it. Um, they right. were invited to a party and sexually assaulted, you know, um, they were coerced into these things and, um, my eyes were open to, just how good God is that I had had enough exposure to it to understand it. Right. Um, and also a lot of healing. And I recognized, you know, this is maybe what God has been leading me towards. Um, the more I worked and volunteered with um, Generate Hope and then with North County Lifeline, um, I, I recognized there's this huge problem and there's not enough resources for right the ones that have been victimized through this. And yeah. so I, I went into the, to my mission director at church and I said, we got to do something. There needs to be more uh, beds available. There needs to be more homes. There needs to be more resources. And that mission director said, let's do it. Yeah. And um, we got one other person we incorporated and um, it's now six years later. Um, we have a, a long-term residential program um, in Vista. So we have a house, um, but that house began in 2016. We can house six women up to two years. Um, we started housing our first two women in 2015. And um, that was out of a two bedroom apartment. That's all we had the money right. for. Um, right. But we also operate a resource center. That resource center pretty much started out of the trunk of my car. Um, yeah. That resource center um, that now um, we have served over um, 300 women, you know, whether it be groceries or uh, transportation or clothing or connection to services, um, you know, diapers for their kid. Um, you know, we have been able to assist with with women, but that really started out of the volunteering with um you know, Generate Hope and North County Lifeline, um, right. they would say, I would check in at the different shelters and say, hey, you know, what, what is it you need? And, you know, they'd say, oh, we need toilet paper and paper towels. And I'd put the need out there um, or I'd still follow up with some of the women that I was able to help. And I'd say, what do you need? And she'd say, well, I got a job interview. I need an, I need an outfit. And so I'd put the need out. People would donate to me and I would just, you know, 
go and distribute those needs. Now we sure. actually have a volunteer force, and, <laughs> you know, a, you know, physical locations. But once upon a time, it was, um, it was literally just me um, being a mom, being yeah. a, a, a t- you know, um, taking people to appointments or meeting them at Starbucks with my computer and saying, okay, let's figure this out. Right. Or you need an outfit. Let's, um, let's find an outfit. Right. Um, that's how it started. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing. And, and, you know, for time's sake, there's, there's so many stories you could tell and uh, we could be here all day just from the incredible impact um, that you guys are having and, and just the connection to all these other organizations as well. And I know for, for me, one of the things that, that I've dealt with when it comes to ministry, when it comes to one of these like big, huge issues like human trafficking uh a lot of times it just feels like it's too big to make a difference it feels like it's too dark it's too overwhelming and a lot of people will hear the stories of of these women and they cry their hearts are broken they feel like this is the worst thing ever i cannot believe this is happening right here in san diego right here in my neighborhood we've got a lot of military families that are a part of our church like it's it breaks people's hearts that this is happening but it feels so large that they don't feel like they can make a difference and so they just they feel bad at an event and they they cry at an event and then it's like well I can't do anything about it so I I just won't and mm-hmm. I'll just I'll think about it and I'll see a commercial and it's like oh yeah I heard that story from Susan and oh man that was devastating but we're never compelled to act and so I I think it's really important for us to recognize some of the on-ramps to be able to make a difference in these areas. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit ahead of time and, and what you shared is so important. And so in the time that we have left, I'd love for you to, to share that with us, share that with our church and the people who are, are listening to this message today. How can we be a part of making a difference in something that feels so overwhelming? How can we on an everyday practical level actually make a difference? I love that you you bring that up because it's something that I think um, we need to really flip on its head. Um, you know, there's there's so many people see the problem and the issue, and it, it is it's huge, it's nasty, it's ugly. But honestly, the the answers are are pretty simple, and yeah. the answers are closer than you think. And what those answers are are, are your core relationships that within your own self that you're honest with yourself and with God. The the core Things that that um, lead to exploitation and victimization and abuse are um, are breakdowns in our in our in our self, right? There, um, the the two roots are greed and lust. Um, yeah. Had had there been a, an environment of love, of acceptance, of nurturing, uh, would not have been so easily coerced into uh, abuse and to and to darkness, right? Um, right? So, how is that in your in your own life? You know, are you are you in your spiritual relationship with God, is it transactional or is it real? Um, and once, once it becomes real, then how is your relationship with your spouse? Um, and you say, what, Susan, how does this have any effect on uh, sex trafficking in San Diego? Well, you know what? Who's doing the buying? Why are they doing yeah. the buying? Why right. is this the population? Why, why is this is a porn-driven um, problem? 
Um, why is why the issue is in San Diego? We're the eighth largest in the United States with the issue of trafficking of minors. This means that people are purchasing sex from minors, from individuals that are less than 18 years of age. Um, and the majority of those buyers, you can look at the report, are middle-aged white men who are married, who have children, who have college degrees. Um, and the exploitation of the, the victimization is very diverse. Um, so when you look at those studies and the results, you have to ask yourself, okay, how is this breakdown happening? Right. There's definitely a breakdown in the in the family, in the core, in the marriage, in in that relationship with Christ. And if you are a strong unit, then are you educating your children on what to look for? It's not stranger danger. It's yeah. touch danger. Most of yeah. the individuals that have been exploited and victimized, I, I was telling Pastor earlier, in those 300 some people that I've, I've come across and crossed paths with, I can count on one hand how many di didn't have early childhood sexual molestation or abuse. Okay. Yeah. Um, same breakdown in my, my, my story that would have, you know, that was grooming me for, oh, I, I want to dress up like a Playboy bunny for Halloween because I want to be beautiful like that. Um, wh why is that the emphasis? How did that happen? Um, how are we educating our young women and young men that sex and our bodies are not transactional, um, that the, there's a, val a very real value to them and those relationships? Um, that comes from home. That comes from parents educating their children and getting to know their friends. And the most, just as peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, um, you know, um, recruitment happens, well, peer-to-peer -peer education can also happen. Um, it can be a force for good. Um, had I not been invited to church by a peer, um, would I be right. sitting here today? Um, sure. You know, so it's those influences and, and what are you going to use um, are, is your main stake in your family that as for you and your household, you will serve the Lord. Um, right. What does that mean? Have you been teaching your children these principles and have you been loving your children? Have you been loving your spouse? Have you been incorporating those values and how God loves you into them? Um, the other thing is to have those relationships with your children. I hid a relationship from my parents um for four years because it was romeo and juliet syndrome and i probably got into more dangerous and precarious situations because i knew my parents wouldn't approve and i hid it from them um my relationship with my parents was such that i didn't feel comfortable or safe going to them with any problems or issues which led me into more danger um we need to be also demonstrating that grace and mercy and love within our relationships to our children that they can they feel comfortable coming to us to tell us you know my right. one friend or this person keeps trying to talk with me on social media and you know um they're saying things that kind of make me uncomfortable um you want them to talk to you about those things you don't want them to hide them from you um, right. and so you have to realize the dynamics in your relationship is how do how do your 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 children see you? How do you, those individuals around you, just like a, a sexual perpetrator or abuser, pedophile, grooms a young, um, you know, victim, um, how does that happen? How does a victim fall into that it's from this need of love, this need of attention, right. 
this right. need of value that they feel. Um, I can't tell you story after story of how many women they it was it, they didn't see their their pimp or their trafficker as an abuser. He was the only one there for them. He was wow. he made them feel special. He made them feel important. He made sure that that she got fed. You know, mom and dad were mean, or she left an abusive relationship, and he was the one who was there for them. And yeah. so many times, it's that grooming relationship um that satan perverts right. um and so we've got to flip that back we've got to be able to say yeah. no that's not jesus that's not god god loves um god forgives right. um god is accepting and you want to be an open door um yeah. so in, in the tangible on ramps on how individuals it's really um you know like i said earlier i chose to go pets it, <laughs> yeah. or hang out water plants with the with the old lady from church because she'd draw from hey susan i'll, I'll you know I, I can i can pay you five dollars you know if you come walk my dog right. and i said well that sounded more interesting than you know joy riding um and hanging out right because i could i could earn some money that way right and yeah. it was through those conversations that not only did it keep me off the street but um i learned so much from that relationship um and i felt loved you know, right. it, there's simple things like that. Is it just, um, I like to go in over to, um, there were a couple of Catholic sisters and every time I would go over to their house, um, they, um, they would have cookies and snacks. And, you know, sometimes it just went yeah. for the cookies. Sure, <laughs> sure. No, I think that it's so, I think that was so eye-opening for me as as you and I got to talk and I got to hear uh, you, you share with the, the ladies a few months ago. I think so many times we think it's the Taken movie, you know, like you're just walking somewhere and all of a sudden you're snatched and, and that's what, but this, this is happening in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, based on the fact that women don't feel like they have a safe place. They don't feel loved. They don't have those, those basic needs. And, and we just, man, we just talked about this in our sermon uh, last Sunday that, that we all have these basic needs within us and we're just going to whatever source we can to fulfill them, right? We're in, and so many times we're going to insufficient sources. And what happens with the majority of these, these ladies is what it, it sounds like, is that they have no safe place to go. You know, they have no place where they feel like they can find that, that love and that affection. And I, I think for me, that was so eye-opening. Like this, this isn't, obviously there are cases where people are being snatched out of parking garages and things like that, but- Very rare. It, it's very, very rare. rare. It's literally two to 3% of human trafficking is that scenario. The other 96 to 97%, it's somebody they know. It's, a, it's and a lot of times it's a family member. Wow. It's a cousin, it's an aunt, it's an uncle. Um, uh, one of our women, um, their, their mom, when she was nine years old, her mom, um, you know, sold, basically sold her so that she could get a drug fix. Um, you know, these, these are the types of transactions that are right. happening. Um, and we, we're not aware of it because maybe it's not in our immediate circle. Um, but if you have a child and, and honestly, I say women because I'm working with women, but this is also a huge problem for boys. Boys right. are actually victimized a whole lot younger 
They say women, girls, national average of victimization, the average age is 14. In San Diego, it's been found to be about 16, but they've had, um, they've had, uh, you know, that means that there's, there's younger and there's, there's also older. Um, sure. They've had victims as young as eight years old. Um, but for boys, the national average is ages nine to 11. Wow. And it, wow. it's even more hidden because um, there's so much shame and there's not a whole lot of uh, conversation about it. Yeah. Um, what I would recommend for everyone to do as an on-ramp is um, just become, and it, it, it is it is hard. It's information that maybe you don't want to know about, but it's a protective education. Um, it's information that will help to um, you to establish where where to see the the road. Right? It's a, the traffic lights and the lines on the street. Those are those are safe boundaries right. to, to help protect us. Well, you have to know where those are, and you've got to be educated on what's happening. So that you can guide the youth and the youth around you and yeah. uh, how to navigate those things. Um, right. So I definitely, the best thing you can do is educate yourself, um, educate in a safe manner, um, the youth that are around you and, right. and also, but also build relationship and um, provide those tangible those yeah. tangible items of of care and nurture right. and love and a safe conversation space um but even more so you need to be educated because when you do have those conversations and someone does say you know what this thing has been happening and i don't know what to do you need to know what to do yeah uh, and who to direct to and know that that responsibility doesn't have to lie on your shoulders there are there are experts there's a professionals that you can help guide somebody to right. and that would be right. you know alabaster jar project or calling the hotline number getting involved right. with child welfare services um, to, to assist somebody. Um, so in the DA's office and, and reporting right. and helping them to report it as a crime, walking through with them. Um, right. Those are very real tangible things you can do as well as helping with um, the local organizations. Um, you know, I'd love to do, um, you know, when we're not outside of COVID, I'd love to do outreach. Um, I, but even more so just, um, keeping keeping these things going you know yeah. providing the tangible needs the clothing the toiletries right. the, uh, which the women uh bible study group they they did such a great job um they brought toiletries and yeah and items for us and we so greatly appreciate the our resource center pretty much um is our highest point of impact um but it's right. amazing because um everything we do there it's our lowest cost center because we had get donated items donations like, right Right. The one, the one last thing that I want to say before I, I kind of ask you how we can help you over this next season, um, you shared it with me that I think a lot of times we, as parents, we try to overprotect our kids from some of these things and we don't want it to be on their radar, but it, it's important for us to pray about and, and navigate how we want to communicate some of these things with our kids. I mean, I have two daughters, they're six and three, and the idea that I have to communicate this to my daughters, it scares the mess out of me. It really does. But I mean, with, with our oldest, we're already having conversations about, hey, no one sees you naked. No one touches you. No, like we're, we're having those conversations. So it, it's important for, for all of us as parents to recognize we have to have these conversations. Pretending like it doesn't exist is not going to help our kids creating this this shameful or scared conversation when it comes to something that's uncomfortable it it doesn't help our kids you know i i, I our number one rule in our house is do not lie like we that is that's 
if you just communicate with me, if you just keep these lines of communication open, it's, it's massive. And so again, pray about how you can start sharing these with, with your kids. And, and we can't, we, we can't protect them from this without having some of these conversations. And so in the, the last couple of minutes that we have here, um, I know for us, what we're hoping to do is to be, be able to raise about $3,000 to be able to partner with you guys. Um, every year we do a Christmas offering and in COVID it's crazy, but that's, that's kind of what we're hoping to be able to do. And so share with us maybe one or two of the big things that you're trying to accomplish over this next season and how we can partner with you. Well, thank you so much. That's, that's such a blessing. Um, that's approximately how much we pay for rent at, at our residential program. So, uh, that, that's, that's just a a blessing. Um, totally. We are, this has been such a weird season. Um, we, you know, um, it's been so challenging. Um, you know, our, our volunteer force has really been cut down because of, of the, you know, inability or, um, everyone, uh, you know, most of our volunteer force is, you know, moms that would volunteer while kids were at school and now everybody's at home, you know, or their, their retirement age, which are more vulnerable now. So it's it's been extra, you know, stressful on the rest of our staff, um, with the shoestring budget, but we are so blessed. Um, I would say, um, just pray, continue to pray for us and continue to help, um, maybe think outside the box. I'm constantly trying to think of, you know, we do a lot of our programming via zoom. Um, you know, are there opportunities for, um, volunteerism in that capacity? Um, we definitely still need to keep food on the table and the lights, you know, on and, um, the women that we're housing currently are doing really well. Um, you know, but it, it is, it is a, um, a walk of faith, um, you know, every day, yeah. um, we are looking towards purchasing our first home, um, so that yeah. we, um, we can have, we can be a little more sustainable as an right. organization. Um, it's, it's been challenging renting, um, right. we've been renting for the past six years. So we finally have gotten to a place where, um, we've been approved by a lender, um, we have, this has taken seven years. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, for sure. <laughs> we've been approved by a lender. Uh, we've, we've, we've raised the, the 20% down payment. And um, so we're actually looking towards uh, purchasing our first home, uh, forever home, um, which is a, a huge step. And of course, yeah. you know, when you, when you're faced with any big step, you know, you feel all the, uh, all the, yeah. all the pressure. All the feels. All yeah. The feels. Everything <laughs> kind of comes at you sideways. So, uh, just continue to like currently we're under quarantine cause we've had, uh, exposure to COVID. So, uh, praying for a staff member's family that's currently in the hospital. I mean, these things are very real. Um, so definitely, you know, we, we covet your prayers, we cover your, your support. Um, we do ask, you know, creative ideas on how to educate others. Um, if there's an opportunity for volunteerism, the biggest thing you can do, like I said earlier, is educate your surrounding, educate yeah. about us, raise awareness. Right. Um, and pastor, I also, I, I neglected to say one thing I wanted for families, um, you also need to um, especially be aware of the sex education that's being taught in your classrooms 
and yeah. what kind of curriculums are being taught because currently sure. the um and christians need to need to and i'm not saying that 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 we shouldn't educate our children on sex um but there is there is definitely this curriculum that is being implemented into our schools and you parents and christians we need to know what it is and we need to be able right. to stand up and implement our voice into it because basically what has been being what is implemented in the public school systems um, that our children are being taught about their bodies and about how it's okay to to feel one way or another they're teaching that um masturbation and um what what's con condoning in um you know well it's your body and you have control over it and it's your choice so we're ending up right now with 15 year olds who believe well you know i'm a sex worker and it's okay because i can make money this way um wow. and yeah. how did they come to that thought how did they come to right. that thought process um that it and it wasn't because of what was it what was being taught at home it's because sure. what they were being surrounded with at school and being yeah. taught at school um and it's something that completely blindsided um a lot of us sure. um i you know we signed the forms at school well we need to get a little more engaged in that uh, right. what are our children being taught um you know what what are they being educated about and to have those the viewpoint that they do um you know educating and raising awareness is one of the biggest things you can do um i had uh, i had a, a high school student invite me to his uh, social studies class at escondido high school and the class only had about 30 kids in it and when i went in i said um i said you know everyone raise your hand if you think you know what sex trafficking is or that you've ever met anybody who might have been ex exploited or, or been you know involved in it nobody raised their hands and um and after the presentation um i asked them the same question and there were maybe only two hands that didn't pop up wow wow it, so what what was the key denominator? What what changed in the in the thirty minutes that I was there was the education. Education was the awareness right. of it. Okay, because they that's they weren't calling it that. They thought, oh, right. some boogeyman's going to drive up in a white van right. and snatch me off the right. street. That's kidnapping. Right. That's smuggling. Um, that's two to three percent of what really happens. They were not aware of. Oh, if I go to a party and um, and somebody's got too much to drink, or they're giving the girls too much to drink, and then they're exploiting them in the back bedroom, um, they didn't recognize that that's trafficking. That's right. sex trafficking. That's exploitation. Right. Um, that's sexual assault. That's that's a crime. Um, yeah. You know. So it's those education pieces that need to For be. For sure. For sure. So much, so much good stuff. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And, and we are, we're honored to be a part of, of this mission with you and, and just beyond proud of the work that, that you guys are accomplishing. And I know it was such a blessing for our family personally when we got to meet you and, and know how we could be involved. And so um, just thank you for taking some time with us today and and sharing with us and our prayer and our hope for all of you listening today is that that education piece is happening but also that you're listening to the holy spirit speak to you personally whether that means you're you're working on what it looks like for your marriage whether it it means you're working on your conversation level with your kids whether it looks like you're partnering with an, an incredible organization like alabaster jar project whatever it is allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, and spur you to action. 
Let's not just sit back and go, oh, okay, well, man, that's crazy. No, let's do something. Let's be a part of it. Let's be active in our own lives and how uh, our relationship with the Lord drives us towards our purpose. So Susan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, City Hills Church. Um, I'm excited about uh, the next steps in the next season and um, so grateful for, for you, Pastor, and for your family um, and for all that you're doing there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.